I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. Come along with us on an adventure in the book of Judges. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club, the Bible book club. In chapters 10 and 11, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then, just like us, sometimes (laughs) cried out to God. This time, though, rather than God sending a judge, the Israelites chose Jephthah, the outcast. Before Jephthah defeats the Ammonites, he makes a foolish vow that if God gives him victory, he will sacrifice whatever comes out of his house on his return. And lo and behold, out comes his daughter, who he definitely did not think is what was going to be coming out of that house. He foolishly keeps the vow. Perhaps if he had not been cast out, he would have come to know God deeply and would have never made such a vow. But that's how history went. And then we moved on to chapter 12, where the Ephraimites got jealous again, and they threatened Jephthah because they were left out of the battle. And Jephthah really gets mad, and he killed a whole bunch of them. The sad irony of that is that Jephthah delivered the Israelites from the oppression of the Ammonites by destroying them. But then he turned on a tribe of Israelites with equal devastation. All right, we're going to continue in chapter 12 in this episode and cover the last three minor judges, Ibsen, Elon, and Abdon, starting with Ibsen. Verse 8, after him, Ibsen of Bethlehem led Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He gave his daughters away in marriage to those outside his clan. And for his sons, he brought in 30 young women as the wives from outside his clan. Ibsen led Israel seven years. Then Ibsen died and was buried in Bethlehem. So Ibsen was from Bethlehem, but the commentaries are divided as to whether this is the Bethlehem in Judah that we are familiar with or a Bethlehem in the north of Israel on the Asher-Zebulun border. Now, Ibsen could have been a Simeonite by default, as it was one of the tribe's missing representation if one holds to the theory that there are 12 judges from the 12 tribes. As the Simeonites lived among the tribe of Judah, it makes sense that he could have been a Simeonite. And then the Bethlehem they're talking about here would be the one in the south located in Judah. Now, Ibsen was rich and powerful. He had 60 children, which implies many wives or concubines, a luxury that required a fortune to support. Compared to Jair, a previous minor judge who had 30 sons, Ibsen has 30 sons and 30 daughters. Now, he used his children to further his own political power by marrying them off to other clans and creating family alliances. After this, the minor judges in particular are prone to want to be king and live like one by accumulating riches, wives, children, and power. Saving Israel as a judge was just a stepping stone to more of what they wanted versus what God wanted. Next is Elon. Verse 11. After him, Elon, the Zebulonite, led Israel 10 years. Then Elon died and was buried in Ajalon in the land of Zebulun. Poor Elon. All we know One, is that... Like two, <laughs> yeah. two lines. All we Just know. two lines. He's from the tribe of Zebulun and that his name is a pun for little despot. That's all I can tell you about him. Abdon is the final minor judge. Verse 13. After him... 
Abdon, son of Hillel from Pirathon, led Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys. He led Israel eight years. Then Abdon, son of Hillel, died and was buried at Pirathon in Ephraim, in the hill country of the Amalekites. Like Jer and Ibzin, Abdon is building a dynasty and has extended his control to the third generation. He is very rich. Everyone has their own donkey, which implied royalty back in the day. We can see the same downward deterioration of faith in the minor judges that we see in the major judges. The book of Judges states that Shamgar, our first minor judge, saved Israel. It does not state that Tola, Jer, Ibsen, Elon, and Abdon saved Israel. They did not fulfill what God called them to do. In fact, our final minor judge's death puts a fine point on the declining tolerance of the minor judges. Abdon is buried among the Amalekites, a sign that the Israelites have become so integrated with the Canaanites that even the judges lived among them. Okay, here's the setup for the last major judge. Remember that the book of Judges is the story of the Israelites' cycle of sin, oppression, deliverance by a judge, and a period of peace before the whole cycle begins again. Each cycle of major judges begins with Israel doing evil in the eyes of the Lord and ends with a period of peace. In the first three cycles, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah were judges with faith who led the unfaithful Israelites to defeat their enemies, exactly what God wanted them to do. In the second three cycles, the stories of Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson, the judges struggle with their knowledge of and faithfulness to God, resulting in idolatrous leadership and more oppression for Israel. Our final judge, Samson, is the worst of all. He is born with a miraculous announcement, misleading us to believe that he will be the most powerful judge yet. Instead, we discover that he is far more violent, immature, impulsive, and selfish than any of the judges before him. Starting in chapter 13, scene one, the angel appears to Samson's mother. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now we know from the story of Jephthah that the Israelites were sold into the hands of the Ammonites and Philistines. God raised Jephthah to fight the Ammonites and God chose Samson to fight the Philistines. Now the Israelites have lived with the Philistine oppression for 40 years twice as long as any other oppression. The Philistines have been around so long that the Israelites are accustomed to living with the Philistines, moving among them as if they were part of their culture. Perhaps that is why there is no mention in this last cycle of judges of the Israelites crying out to the Lord. They no longer even see a need to be delivered. They have settled for sharing what God promised the land with the enemy. Verse 2, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife 
who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now, see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So the first thing we notice is that Samson was special. He is one of the few with an angelic birth announcement. Now, the appearance of of the angel of the Lord kicks any baby reveal up a notch. And the holy presence means our expectations for the child skyrocket too. Samson is in a select league of babies who received an angelic birth announcement. Isaac, Samuel, and John the Baptist were announced by an angel, and each of these grew into men of great faith. But none compared to the ultimate baby reveal, the birth announcement that would bring an end to the cycle of sin that Israel was caught in and an end to our suffering from the human condition of sin. The ultimate baby reveal was when the angel told Mary about Jesus. So Samson is off to a miraculous start to life. But of all the heavenly birth announcements, his life achievements will rank the lowest. His struggle with sin is so defeating, it definitely proves that we desperately need God's grace to deliver us from sin. Now, Samson is from the tribe of Dan, a tribe that started off well in Genesis, but disappeared from the list of tribes in Revelations. In Numbers at Sinai, a census was taken, and the tribe of Dan was huge, second in number only to Judah. However, in two episodes, we will discover that the tribe, like Samson, lacked true devotion to God and his word. Another interesting thing is that Samson will be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was a person who took a vow of consecration and dedication to God. The vow was usually voluntary and temporary and usually taken for a specific period of time, but Samson's was not temporary. His vow was assigned by God from his birth for his entire life. He is just one of three Nazarites in the Bible from birth chosen by God. The other two are Samuel, the star of Bible Book Club season nine, and John the Baptist, whose story can be found in Luke one. The Nazarite had to live by three basic rules. No grape or alcoholic drinks. I didn't know it included grape. I learned that. No haircuts for the duration of their vow. Their hair was to grow long, signifying their dedication to God. So for Samson, that meant forever. That is quite a man bun. I just want you to picture it. No contact with dead bodies because that would make them ceremonially unclean. Also a rule for priests. And we had so much more on that. And I think it was Leviticus. Yeah, Leviticus and probably Deuteronomy also. Yeah. So these rules that he, that you think of as Samson was not supposed to cut his hair, but that was a rule for anybody who was a Nazarite is what you're yeah, saying. If you took a Nazarite vow, you did these three things for the duration of your vow. Only three people did it for their entire life. The rules for taking a Nazarite vow are found in the book of Numbers, chapter 6. The purpose of the Nazarite vow was to provide a way for a person to express their commitment to God and set themselves apart for his service for the time. As a Nazarite, Samson was to be an example 
to the Israelites at a time when they desperately needed an example of how to be devoted to God. But we will find out that the only thing Samson is devoted to is self-gratification. Scene 2. The angel appears to Samson's mother and father. Verse 6. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again and teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Samson's parents respond with faith. This is a family that has resisted the cultural decline around them and honored God. Samson's mother immediately believed it was a messenger from God, unlike Gideon, who needed so much more proof. Samson's father sincerely asked for instructions on how to execute his responsibility. Verse 9, God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I've told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything as I've commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was an angel of the Lord. I don't know about the goat thing. Gideon wanted to do the same thing. Everyone wants to offer a goat to the angel. We can't be sure what Manoah was thinking. He may have offered to feed the angel because feeding someone had cultural implications. The person receiving the food would be obligated to you, which is perhaps why the angel didn't eat it. Because angels do occasionally eat. They ate with Abraham in Genesis 18. And that Abraham, he's a righteous man. That's why they ate with him. This angel may have felt that Manoah was being manipulative for more info. So he didn't eat and he doesn't answer the next question. Verse 17. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that we may honor you when your word comes true. He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted the burnt offering and the grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things or now told us this. So at first, the angel sounds a little annoyed with Manoah's request for a name. He told Manoah that his name is beyond understanding. The implication is that he is the son of God, 
the Messiah, Jesus Christ. At the time, the plan for salvation was beyond everyone's understanding. Now, then the angel ascended in the flame of the offering, and that was all Manoah really needed to believe. He didn't need instructions on how to raise Samson. All Manoah needs is to know God, and Manoah needs to trust God. Now that Manoah believes he has seen the Lord, he panics in fear. He knows what Moses said in Exodus 33, that no one can see the face of God and live. His wife, the pragmatic one, assures him that that would not make sense. Verse 24, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanedan between Zorah and Eshtol. So up until this point, the parents have been totally team God. Yay, somebody in the book of Judges is totally team God. But his mother here named him Samson, which means little son. Now, many Canaanites believed the son was a god. Samson's mother was mixing religions like so many Israelites around her. This is our first hint that despite Samson's miraculous birth, this judge is named after a pagan god and this story is not going to go well. From this scene, we learn that the Lord began to stir him. And then the story fast forwards. Samson is a man, and it is time for him to become the judge Israel needs. But Samson does not have eyes for Israel. He is frequently distracted by women, three of them that we know of. Scene three, Samson's first obsession is a wife. Now, there is no kind way to describe Samson's desire for women. Samson is so obsessed, distracted, addicted, and focused on satisfying his own personal desires that he cannot fulfill the desires of God. Self-gratification and godly devotion cannot coexist. They are incompatible, mutually exclusive. If we are focused on what we want, we are distracted from what God wants. It is that simple. And the enemy wants us distracted for life, obsessed with self-gratification and blind to God. Ironically, in the end, it will be Samson's blindness that saves him from his obsession with women and opens his eyes to God. Moving on to chapter 14, Samson's marriage, right idea, wrong woman. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She is the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over. Israel. In Samson's first temptation, he has the right idea, marriage. He wants a wife. However, it's the wrong woman. He saw a young woman and was so dominated by what he felt that he lost control of his senses. 
Samson is supposed to be delivering Israel from the Philistines, not marrying them. Imagine his parents' distress. I bet Manoah was really wishing he had had more instruction from the angel. Well, he did ask. (laughs) He did ask. They probably were guilt-ridden, feared that they had failed God. Now, the inner struggle in Samson is revealed here in this first obsession. Verse 25 says that the Lord is stirring him. But Samson has allowed a worldly impulse to stir him even more. Samson is focused on what he wants and is distracted from what God wants. Samson wants a Philistine woman, even though he knows that he is a Nazarite with a miraculous birth and a vow to keep. And he ignores his parents, even though they flat out tell him that God wants him to choose an Israelite woman. Samson's response is disrespectful and demanding. The Hebrew translation for the phrase, she's the right one for me, in verse 3 is very telling. It's, she is right in my eyes. Remember, that is our sixth and final cycle of the judge's phrase, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Why is he doing evil in the eyes of the Lord? Because he's doing right what's in his eyes. The people have made a shift. They don't even know what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. They have lost sight of it. All they know is what feels right in their eyes. And by the time we get to chapter 17 and 21, a new phrase appears. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. They did what was right in their eyes. They did as they saw fit. Here, Samson is the beginning of the trend. What a different story this would have been if Samson had married a woman like Othniel had. Aksa was a woman who partnered with him in pursuing God and attaining God's promises. This is a warning to every generation. Are we losing sight of what is good and what is evil in the eyes of the Lord? In our culture today, is it common for everyone to do as they see fit? Like Samson, are we obsessed with physical self-gratification? Like the Canaanites, are we sacrificing our children? When we allow children to surgically change their identity because it feels right to them, have we lost sight of what God created and declared good? As parents, we are supposed to protect and guide our children. They are easily tempted, inexperienced, and immature. With that in mind, How can we allow children to sacrifice themselves to surgery and drugs that will change their identity forever when they do not have the wisdom to understand the consequences? We judge the Israelites in the story, but are we like them? Aren't we too losing sight of God and everyone is doing as they see fit, despite the consequences to the future? Back to Samson. God has a plan for him despite his foolish decisions. God is going to use Samson's physical desires to create a feud between the Philistines and Israelites. So even though it's wrong, God has a plan for it, even from the beginning. God is going to shake it up so they can't mix it up with the ungodly Philistines. Because remember, they're getting quite used to them living in their neighborhood. If they do not willingly obey his command to possess the promised land and drive out the Canaanites, God is going to step in and force a battle. 
Scene four, Samson and the lion. Verse five, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward them. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked to the woman and he liked her. Such a strange story, but interesting story. First, they all go to Timnah, deep into Philistine territory, as if it were no big deal. Another example that the Israelites were so mixed up with the Philistines that they had totally capitulated and were cohabitating with an enemy of God. So then on the way, a lion approaches. Now the parents must have made a run for it because they never found out that Samson tore the lion apart. So they were gone. Samson should have made it known that he tore the lion apart because he had broken his Nazarite vow by touching a dead animal. He should have gone straight to the tabernacle for a ritual cleansing process. See Leviticus and was it numbers again? But no time for that. He was too distracted by his desire to see the girl in Timnah. The really curious thing is that it was the spirit of the Lord that empowered him to kill the lion. What is going on here? Was God's intention for Samson to begin to understand his power? Was he supposed to kill the lion or just throw it off? We don't know, but we do know that God has plans to mix it up. What we also know is that he never said a word about the lion and skipped the cleanse. It was out of sight, out of mind, because his mind was on the woman. Scene five, Samson and the lion's honey. Verse eight, sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass and in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Okay, lots of commentaries about the carcass. Just so you know, bees do not like the smell of decay. So sometime later could have meant as much as a year. Samson sees the carcass of the lion filled with bees and honey. Now, why he wasn't going back to see the girl and, you know, get married till a year later, I don't know. But as a Nazarite, he should have left it alone because of course it's a dead carcass. But of course he impulsively satisfies his sweet tooth And on top of that, he gives them to his parents, rendering them all ritually unclean because he didn't tell them where he got the honey. So if this thing was decayed enough for bees to get inside of it, there wouldn't have been blood anymore, but it's still not okay for him to touch it? No, because bones and... Bones are are included? Yes. Yeah. It's still still dead matter. All right. Scene six, Samson's wedding riddle. There is a purpose for this whole lion carcass thing, I promise. Verse 10. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. You can't tell me the answer. You must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? 
Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my own father or mother, he replied. So why would I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. Okay, a lot here to note about Samson. First, he likes to play games. That's going to come up again. And then second, he capitulates for love. That's going to come up again. Samson thinks he is so smart. He sees an opportunity to profit from the curious honey carcass. So he bets his Philistine groomsmen, they were like companions, that they can't guess his riddle. And when they can't, they threaten his wife. And she begs Samson, who, of course, cannot resist her. Samson's pride at being outsmarted turns to rage, despite the fact that it was his own fault for telling his bride. For the second time, the spirit of the Lord empowers him and he violently kills and robs 30 Philistines to pay his debt. Now, why would the spirit of the Lord empower him? Or remember, God's trying to start a war here. God has a plan and he's going to use him even if he's being... Yes. An idiot. Because if Samson were a true judge, he already would have led Israel into battle against the Philistines. Instead, he's trying to marry them. Samson's motive in killing was far from a desire to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But God used it to pit the two nations against each other. The spark started by Samson's silly riddle will become a raging fire in our next episode when Samson returns to claim his wife and finds she was given to another. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.